0: Do you struggle with feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and just a general sense of being tired all the time? Are you trying to figure out how you can regain some rest and maybe a more healthy rhythm in your life so that you're not always uh, seemingly at the edge of burnout? Well, I've got good news for you because in this episode of Filter, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be sharing with you a clip of a a recent sermon of mine, a sermon that I preached several months ago on the uh, idea of Sabbath. Sabbath is God's gift to us to be able to take a break and to have the liberty of saying no. Of saying no to the overwork, to the overwhelm, to the uh, endless amounts of opportunities, which in and of themselves may not be bad, but things that uh, we need to say no to for the sake of the health of our bodies and souls to get some rest. And so specifically what we're going to be doing uh, in this episode and sharing with you in this clip is what is really the core issue with our inability to stop and to get some rest. What is the enemy of Sabbath? That's what this episode is about. My name is Aaron Champ. Welcome to Filter.
1: So, let's start with knowing the truth of Christ. What do you do with Jesus? It might seem like a silly question, and I'm getting a lot of confused looks. That's okay, but it is actually a very, very intensely serious question. If you will actually, if you will not just humor Jesus, but if you will read the Gospels, the things that He uh, does, and the kind of things that He claims, it is a very serious question. What? are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to look at him and say, there's a lot of really inspiring words in here. The Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you read the Sermon on the Mount and you think, what a beautiful speech. If only uh, the world could live according to something looking more like the the Sermon on the Mount. And so you regard him as a wise teacher. Right? He's got some interesting things to say, and so on, or maybe you look at him purely as just a miracle worker, but whenever you come to the Bible and you look at the story of the gospels and the story of Jesus, you cannot just walk away um, in un- in undecision. If you actually encounter Jesus in the Gospels, which is what I'm hoping we can do for a moment this morning, if we actually encounter him, we cannot walk away in apathy or undecision because you have to do something with a guy who says things like this so in this passage, he's, he's getting at this, what I'm about to show you more clearly, but he is getting us something, which is that he is much, much more than just a good teacher. He is much, much more than just a good rhetorician. He's got great speeches um, or, or even a wise sayer, right? He is implying at something much greater than that, and it's actually at the end of this chapter that he says it very clearly. At the end of the chapter, he is talking with them, and, and it, they kind of start to get into it in what I read before, but they start to get into this issue of Abraham, and are they the children of Abraham, or are they not? And Jesus goes on and says to them, you, I know that you're not the children of Abraham, because if you were the children of Abraham, you would delight in what I'm saying, just as he saw it and delighted in it. Now, there's a problem with that. Abraham has been dead for a while. This is many, many years after the life and death of Abraham. But Jesus says in the present tense, you should be rejoicing because Abraham, whom you're claiming was your father, saw my day, saw his teaching, and he rejoiced. And so they say, what in the world are you talking about? In fact, in verse 57, they say, you aren't even 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Because that's what he's claiming. And here's what he says. He says, in 58, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, to us, that sounds like bad grammar. And, and, and to us, uh, stoning someone for bad grammar seems a little uh, primitive, right? But that's not what's happening here. Jesus made right there an extremely bold claim. He says, even before Abraham was, so in other words, even before Abraham lived, even before Abraham existed, I existed, okay? So already he's claiming something pretty outrageous, pretty extraordinary, but it is what causes them to want to uh, stone him, because they're not going to stone him just for claiming that he is really, 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 really old, like he's some unique species that the plant has never seen before that's not why they're trying to stone him not just because he said he's really old but because he said this before abraham was i am in the greek ergo am um, uh, me what he is saying is he is drawing from the special name that yahweh uses for himself in the old testament that is only allowed to be ascribed to yahweh and so Jesus is not just using bad grammar, and he's not just trying to say that he's really old. What he is saying is, is yes, I have seen Abraham. Abraham has seen me. He, he knows my teaching. He delighted in it. Yes, I existed before Abraham because I am the I am. That's what Jesus is saying here. And that is why they they, uh, grabbed stones to try to kill him. Because in that moment, in their eyes, he had committed blasphemy, claiming to be equal with the Lord, with Yahweh. Let me ask you the question again, then. What do you do with this guy? Will you look at him as just some great teacher? Because I don't think that you can come to Jesus who says, ergo Ami who says, I am the I am. I am the Lord. He's saying, I am the one who created the world. I am the one who brought forth everything from nothing. He's saying, I am the uh, cosmic judge. He's saying, I am the one that all of you owe uh, an answer for your life to. You cannot come to someone like this and say, you know, well, he was a really good teacher and I feel inspired by him, but that's about it and leave it there. Whenever you come to a person like this who says and did the kind of things that Jesus did, the kind of things that he claimed to be, you are uh, pushed into a point of decision. One of those options is not just to say, I find some of his stuff inspirational, so I'll take some and then leave some. Your choices are either, uh, Lewis put this a long time ago in his book, Mere Christianity, your choices are either to look at him as an outrageous lunatic He says to look at him as a lunatic on the same level of a man who would claim to be a hard-boiled egg. Either Jesus is absolutely out of his mind to be claiming that he is God. I mean, that's how we view people who claim to be God or Messiahs today, right? Or he is a liar, an absolute horrible, terrible liar because of all the things that his followers have experienced in the name of following him. Or he is exactly who he says he is. He is either a lunatic a liar or he is the Lord and if he is the Lord, then you cannot just take the Sermon on the Mount or you cannot just take some of his other nicer easier sayings and and, and think, I'll really cherish these but then not give your entire life to him. As I said, this is already being implied in the passages that we read because what Jesus is saying is that um, if you if you hear what I am saying and you continue in it then you will be my disciples. What Jesus is saying is that for those who hear the truth that he is speaking and obey it, it becomes something much greater than a new philosophy for their life. Or it becomes something even much deeper than just new rules for their life. Not less than, but more. He is saying, for those who hear my word and accept it, continue in it, they become my disciples, he's saying, they they come into a personal relationship with me where there is personal allegiance to me. What Jesus is talking about and offering here and what him being Lord means is something which is absolutely extraordinary and absolutely, absolutely unique among all world religions, okay? I don't claim to be an expert in comparative religion, but I do know enough about comparative religions to know this, that what is being offered here In Jesus' claims and in his teachings is something absolutely unparalleled in the history of religion or belief. Even up until today. To have a personal relationship with the Lord of the cosmos. He doesn't say, if you will receive my word, then... You'll get to even just join the group or, or something superficial. He says, then you are my disciples. Knowing the truth of Christ means something much greater than having some Bible verses memorized. It means, knowing the truth of Christ means being in a deep personal relationship with him. So here's what this means for us. Like I said, Jesus, who claims these kind of things, pushes us into a point of decision. Will you come to Jesus and and see him, acknowledge him, and confess him as Lord? I hope you will. If you will, what that means is, is that now you must enter into a personal relationship with him called discipleship, wherein, in that relationship, you give ultimate allegiance for your entire life over to him. That is what this means for us. If he is Lord, if he is the creator, if he is the maker, the designer, if he is the judge of the universe, if he is Lord, then you must give all of your allegiance to him. He is now your Lord. He is now your master. He is now your king. He is uh, you are the student. He is now your um, your uh, discipler right? This is what it means for us. So you cannot just approach Jesus and say, I think he might be really useful to me, because that's very often the, the manner that we approach Jesus in. And if you come to him, and you try to use his teaching without giving him your personal allegiance, then you're just trying to use him. Let me explain the difference to you. You might come to Jesus not really desiring to give him the submission of your whole life, make him your king, but you might come to him because you're really wanting to get your life in order. You see, Bob, whose garden is so much better than yours. And so you're thinking, maybe uh, Jesus can give me a better looking garden. Maybe Jesus can get my life together in order, right? We see this from a, a lot from people who are coming out of addiction or coming out of trauma, right? They, they see that there is a light that maybe they can change. And so they come to Jesus, not so that Jesus will become their Lord. And then they are transformed in him, but just so that Jesus will give them the more well-put-together life that they want, right? Very often this might happen in your, in your career. Whether your career is in school, you're a student right now, whether you are working, you want things to go better in your career. Maybe things are looking down. It's looking like there might be some layoffs coming up, whatever it is. And so you start increasing your personal morality and you start uh, increasing all, the, all of your uh, Christian duties in the hope that, Maybe getting closer to Jesus will mean things will work out better with my job. This works out very much the same with singles. Right? We've got a lot of singles here, and, and I don't mean to offend any of you. If I do, I'm sorry. But so, so often, in the short time in ministry that I've been in, what I see happening is, is singles who come into the church, they get involved, they meet somebody, and then they're gone. And you know what that shows? It shows that this person deep down in their heart was not desiring Jesus, but they are desiring something that they hoped Jesus could give them. And so they are treating Jesus as an object, not as a Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, you will not come to him to treat him like an object and to be someone who is useful to you, rather someone who is beautiful to you, rather someone to whom you give ultimate, absolute allegiance for your entire life.